Michael just read for us uh, an amazing passage of Scripture. A lot of it had to do with the attitude of the brethren at Corinth over a year's period of time and when they had made a promise with regard to a gift. In fact, it goes beyond this past year between the first letter and the second because I believe they actually wrote to the apostle first. And in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, now concerning the gift, and he goes to talking to them about it, and then sometime later, here he is talking even more to them because of this matter of, of giving for a specific need for the saints in Judea. I don't want to teach on this sermon. The elders asked me to, and I said I would be happy to. <laughs> and then I studied some more. I didn't want to teach on it for a number of reasons. In fact, I'll give you some of those reasons, but here's the reason why. It's taboo, right? It's taboo for a host of reasons. You don't talk about finances. That's getting personal. When I was only 10 years old, you just didn't ask your neighbor, well, how much money do you make? And how much does this cost? And don't, don't our children always ask us those questions? How much did that heater cost, Dad? Oh, that's personal. And we don't want to get open about our finances because of a host of reasons. And some of them is from the preacher's standpoint. We don't feel qualified. Because there are others who are better stewards than us preachers. Maybe some feel actually hypocritical. Because we know to be good stewards and live frivolously. And I don't know who they are. I'm not one of them, right? I mean, I try my best. There's a difference, I believe, between being a hypocrite and being weak about things. But there are those that are hypocritical. There are those who are weak, and so we don't feel qualified. And we just don't want to be labeled as being greedy. If the preacher's going to preach on giving, maybe he's just wanting more money. Does that cross your mind? Preacher's wife just nodded her head saying yes. <laughs> Maybe it's because we don't want to rock the boat. Upset the brethren so much so that they stop going and go to another church that won't teach on the taboo subject. Maybe it's because members on the congregation, they just don't want to hear it. Any of us here in this room don't want to hear subject on giving? The preacher or elders just don't know my circumstances. And so, you know, I don't want to hear it because you won't understand what I am going through. You know, you guys, you did whatever you did, I did what I did, but you can't understand what, what I'm going through, so I don't want to hear it. You cannot tell me what to do with my money. It's my money. You can't tell me what to do. It's like, it's my sin... You can't tell me what to do or whatever the situation is what, because it's my money. Is it already sensitive to you by, by using some of these quote-unquote reasons? According to some, these are not reasons. These are excuses. But these are excuses given on the subject of giving. Ultimately, the statement is it's between me and God. And so... Whatever you have to say this morning, Mitch, I'm going to close my ears. 
And when the serving is over, you let me know when I see the song that goes up for the invitation, I'll open my ears up again and we can continue the service. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be very frank. The elders asked me to preach on this because it needs to be taught. So it needs to be taught, brethren. If it needs to be taught, that means as a whole, we're not doing what we could be doing. That's without getting into details. I'm going to get into just a little bit of detail, but not enough as to be very specific by names. Does that make you just your heart skip a little bit by even saying the word names? You see, their brethren this morning that were passing out these trays, they cannot help but pass it by and see it get passed for whatever the reason may be. Maybe you forgot it. Julie said, Mitch, you're preaching on giving. You got the check, right? <laughs> so it's kind of embarrassing if I don't have a check and I'm going to preach on giving this morning. But what happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year? And there are brethren passing the tray. Well, it's none of your business. It's between me and God. You don't understand my circumstances. And I'm going, well, I don't want to appear greedy. I don't want to be hypocritical. And I give all my excuses. That's the reason why we're having this sermon. So to be very open with you, these are things that as a whole we need to work on. And, and yet, we realize this is a sensitive issue. That's the reason why we have our quote-unquote reasons or excuses. You know, many churches, they divide over money. When I was in Fayetteville, there's an institutional congregation that Walmart was going to come in, give them a million dollars for their property. All of a sudden, what are we going to do with this money? I know what, we need to build a gymnasium. We need to do this, we need to do that. And just all of a sudden, their brethren just all arguing over this at that congregation. They split. Money does that. It's a sensitive issue. There's a risk of class envy. You got brethren that have more than other brethren. And so therefore, when it comes to giving... Well, brethren that may not have much going, you brethren that have a lot more, you can live on, on what you have and still give a lot. I can't. And there's envy because you are on the other side of the tracks of me. This happens a lot in South America, by the way. Class envy, big issue there. So money is even much more sensitive there as an issue. But it happens here. Or you might have those that have and going, well, you know, if you just are better stewards over your money and start having what I would regard self-righteousness. And it happens on both sides of the track if you want to go that illustration. It's a sensitive issue. Okay, so knowing that it's a sensitive issue, knowing that there are going to be excuses by, by pre preachers and by church members, got all that out of the way. The subject is a subject in the Bible. Money is talked about just about as much, if not more, than almost any other subject. It, there's a ton of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references to finances, to stewardship, to giving. And so it's a Bible subject. It needs to be dealt with. But it's hardly dealt with in the pulpits today. It's hardly talked about 
articles not written because of these various things that we've already discussed. So whatever the reasons are, I want to talk about two things. I want to look at some facts first. And when I talk about these facts, this is going to come from two different research groups. You can go see them on the Internet. I've got references within the PowerPoint that you're welcome to go and see. But they're very telling because it may actually shed light upon what goes on in this congregation. And these are national surveys and polls. And while the sampling is pretty small, under a thousand overall, I think it's still reflective. And I think it may actually hit some buttons here. But I want you to notice some of these facts. And then we're going to get to the heart of the matter. I think that's the real issue. Look at some of these facts. See if it ring a bells, rings a bell with you. Less today, from a standpoint of what your income is, and of course we're talking about gross income, not net income. Take all your fringe benefits, put them into dollar, sign, dollar bills and everything, put them all together. Here's what we give today. We're giving less today than during the Great Depression. Stop and think about this. During the Great Depression, if you had the chance for an iPod, an iPhone, an iPad, an iComputer, or whatever else you got, would you have been able to get it? And today, in the midst of a brink of depression, it seems like we're in a either... I'm hearing debates whether we're still in the recession or not, and many people would say... I feel like it. We still get stuff. Lots of it. We still eat out. Maybe not quite as much as maybe three or four years ago for some of us, but percentage of income-wise, factually speaking, in this country, those who go to church are giving less than during the Great Depression. Is that telling? I think it is. There's a whole lot that's not being said that is very much inferred by me as to our materialism today. How about this? In 2003 and today in 2010, based upon other surveys I've seen, it's very similar to this. Only three out of ten twenty-somethings donated to a church in the past year. We're not talking about how much you give. Only three out of ten are giving at all. That's the fact from the survey. Churchgoers, 7 out of 10 are not giving anything at all, the 20-somethings back in 2003, and it's very similar in stat today. In April of 2011, 24% of givers stopped giving. Of all those who had been giving, 24% stopped giving in April 2011. It was 27% in 2010. A lot of people stopped giving at all. In the meantime, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself, but it seems like we got bills to pay for whatever the reasons we've chosen to meet in this manner. Perpetual needs. Yet many stop giving because whatever the reasons are going to be. And so you got these statistics. Well, in another survey, this was done in... May of 2010, last year, it's called the State of the Plate. And this year, 2011, was the second annual State of the Plate survey of 750, quote-unquote, Christians that are serious about their faithful living before God. 
I mean, these are people that are saying, I want to give to God, and I want to live faithfully every single day before my God. These are the individuals that have been surveyed. Look at the stats. While most people only give 1% to 3% of their income, these survey responders indicated their household made it a priority to be faithful and generous givers. That's given in the stat. And notice these stats then. 23% give under 10%. So the 10% being the tithing mark, right? That's what you hear in denominations. And then us within churches of Christ, we're going, well, of course we're not under tithing. And many of the denominations, they're getting it now. There's no tithing per se in the New Testament. And we'll get into that aspect of the sermon later on. But it's still something that is very prevalent in a mindset. So that 10% mark, if you will, threshold, 23%. Of the 750 families give under 10%. That means 77% are giving 10% or more of their gross income. Of that then, 18% actually give 10%. So if someone makes $100,000 total income from husband and wife or husband alone or wife alone, however the incomes come in, 10000 over the course of a year are put in the plate. That's not including giving to other charities. That's just in the plate. Fifty-one percent give between 10 to 20 percent of their income. You're talking about upwards of $20,000 for a family that makes 100000 20000 one-fifth of their gross income. That leaves 8%, giving over 20%. Brethren, I don't know what our numbers are because I don't know what you all make. I'd venture to say if we had these numbers right here, our contribution would be a whole lot higher. That's, um, that's just a guess. I've, been, I've never seen what you put in. I, I've never, I walked in when I was making more bulletins this morning because I wanted a shout-out to our teenagers, but I forgot to do it. I'll do it maybe at the end if I remember. But anyway, I saw them, and they were counting the money. That's it. I, that's as far as I got to see since I've been here in the last year and a half. So I don't know what, what's put in. I'm going to guess it'd be more than what, what is currently there on the, on the board. That's a, that's a statistic, statistic that we see. And these are people who are saying, I want to live faithfully before God. I want to be a generous giver to God. That's what they're saying. Now, I know we live in the flesh, and because of that, we compare ourselves with ourselves, knowing that we're not the standard. And that's the reason why I feel inadequate. Because I look at this, I'm going, when I compare myself to these individuals, I'm going, I got work to do, Mitch. And I admit to all of you right now, and I'm ashamed to even admit this, I really am selfish. I don't know why I'm so selfish. Well, I do know why, but specifically, what specifically keeps me from giving even more to God when I have so many things? We just prayed to Him, giving Him thanks for all that He's given to us. We chose the cars that we wanted to drive to be here this morning. We chose a number of things to, to live in the homes that we have, that we give thanks for, for the foods that we eat every single day, and if we don't eat, it's because we chose not to eat, not because we couldn't eat. We chose to set the temperature up a little bit warmer last night if we wanted to. 
There's a lot of blessings. And the blessings behind those blessings that bring us to this point that we're talking about. Everything takes money. And so what is our statistics telling us? What is it telling you in your family? What is it telling you as husbands, heads of your households, or women who, if, you, if you're single moms, or husbands and wives as you have two incomes within your family, what is it saying to you right now, looking at these stats? Are your ears still closed? Or is it sinking in and pricking your heart? And these are just the facts. We're not even in God's Word yet. Well, let's go to God's Word. Let's see what it says. You know, when we look at the Scriptures, we can go from the very beginning of, of God's Word, and we know that when we look at Scriptures itself, we can read Genesis chapter 14, and hundreds of years before the law of Moses was ever established, you had the practice of what is referred to as tithing. When Abraham gives to Melchizedek, the 10%, or I forget, and I forgot that right. <laughs> Yet other countries, other nations, that had a form of tithing that went on. This is hundreds of years before the law of Moses was even established. What do you suppose that tells you? When people, during this patriarchal period, when God was able to speak to the, the heads of, of families, if you will, that at some point, this concept of giving back to God, what belongs already or that was His to begin with, what was their view? And so this whole concept of tithing and this 10% giving, uh, it's a very general, easy, convenient statement that we use, and it's brought out in doctrines today, uh, particularly by denominations, but these are things that were practiced before the law of Moses. Well, what about the law? If you want to get real specific about the law, tithing was from crops and animals. It wasn't like 10% of every single thing that you've ever owned, and you give it once a year. There are multiple times, at least twice a year that I read in Scripture, where you gave 10% of the seed or the fruit of, the, of your land. And I'll go even further to say there was the first fruits in many cases, but I'm getting into the Levites right now. And then you've got the animals. And the way the animal was, you didn't give your best, you did not give your worst. When you read Leviticus 27 and read other passages, it was every tenth animal. Whether it was a good animal or a bad animal, that animal was given. And it was given to the tribe of Levi. And the Levites would have their own tithing, and out of all that they had, they gave their first fruits. And they gave the very best of the flock. And they gave it to the priest. That's the practice of tithing in the Old Testament. By the time Jesus came around, the practice of tithing became such a burden and ritual. When you read Matthew 23 and verse 23... He's condemning the fact that you have you tithe and you mint, I mean, down to the herb. And yet you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, like justice and righteousness, mercy. They had gotten so focused in that if I just give my 10%, I've fulfilled my obligation, my ticket is punched, I've done what I need to do, heaven bound. Some, even under the New Covenant, have this very mentality of giving. If I give liberally, I'm good to go. And yet we know there's so much more to it than this that we've not even talked about. 
So we're under law and we see all the, the things that are given. In addition to the, the crops and the animals, there are additional sacrifices. When you sin, you gave up your animal. When you made a free will offering that you want to give, a thanksgiving offering, when you had a trespass offering, when there was a burnt offering, all those different offerings that you can read of in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6, that's in addition to the tithing. And on the third year, when you go through your seven-year cycles, on the third year, you tithe everything. There'll be at least three tithings that year. So what did that be? About 30%? Without getting too technical on all that was given year in and year out. So there's all kinds of things with regard to the law of Moses. Well, we're not under the law. Every one of us understands that. We're not under the law, but what we are under is grace. And so if we look at grace and we're looking at the gospel message, I want us to focus in on what the gospel reveals. And so all we're going to look at are some passages in the gospels and one in the book of Acts that refers back to Jesus. Look at these. We're going to quickly go through them. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, Michael, I think we were talking about this in Bible class this morning, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother, then present your offering. How about Matthew 5:42? Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Someone asks you for money, you give. Don't turn him away. It sounds pretty radical, especially in our mindset today because we go to our banks or lending institutions rather than to our neighbor. But this is what was given in, in the gospel. How about Matthew 25, beginning in verse 35, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Are you seeing an underlying pattern already? The word is not there explicitly, but there's a principle in all these passages. And I've only read, what, three right now? See if you can pick it up. How about Luke 6? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those whom you have expected to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. Got a picture here? Every time Jesus is talking about giving in some fashion. How about this one? Luke 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions, give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfading treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're talking about a generous heart. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about selflessness. We're talking about preferring one another. In the subject of giving, these are the things that Jesus himself is teaching. You know, we want to get locked in on certain passages outside these Gospels, but this is the Gospel message about giving. This is what the Lord himself has to say about the subject matter. 
going on. Luke 14, verse 12 following. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or even rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Does this sound pretty radical? These aren't passages you hear of when the subject of giving is talked about. These are radical to me. I can tell you right now, Mitch Davis, Julie Davis has never thrown a party for complete strangers. She's thrown a party for a number of you here already. Kind of like the Gilberts, how they do every month with the birthdays. And how the Harrisons every year at their home. Or the Fishers whenever we got singing or we're going to have some family leave us. But that's not what this is talking about. Is there a level of giving here that maybe we've not yet touched upon? That is actually getting at the heart of who we are as thankful servants of our Lord who's given us his grace. See, I think that's the heart of the, of the matter. I think that's where we need to understand. If we're going to focus on giving financially in this congregation, I think this is the answer personally. We can get into the, the patterns of 1 Corinthians 16, which we'll look at, or 2 Corinthians 8, which we'll look at, or 2 Corinthians 9, we'll look at those. But until you get into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you miss this. And that's the thing that we need to focus on. And I believe this is the area that should help us to understand these passages that we're looking at. And that is why in Acts chapter 20, when Paul speaks to the elders there, he says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is better to give than to receive. And if it's better to give than to receive, is it just a matter of. Let's see, I got a quarter here. <laughs> That's what I'm going to give. Some of us here, we have a spirit of giving. I mean, and some of you are just amazing. And I'm not going to call you out by name because, well, for a number of reasons. But a number of you, you have a great spirit about giving. Many of us may not have that, quote unquote, gift of giving. But there is a doctrine about giving. And if we are to follow in the footsteps of our Savior and follow in the teachings of our Savior, then this is the kind of person that we need to be, a generous giver. Giving our lives first and foremost to the Lord. And when we do that, then we get into the heart of the matter. Then we can look at passages like Second Corinthians chapter 8 and so on and so forth. And so those are the things that are going to help us. So that like Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, don't think of ourselves, but think of others. Preferring one another. That's the concept. And that's why in verse 5 following, the Apostle Paul refers to, here's, the, here's our Savior's example. Who made himself of no reputation, who humbled himself. Always thinking of others, giving of himself. And that's the point of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Having a mindset, a heart of a servant, a heart of one who is selfless. Thus, one who gives. 
When you give, it doesn't matter your economic state. You give generously. I was reading a lot of quotes about giving, and someone says, it's not what you give, it's what you've not given that says a lot about your giving. Made me think. You know, you know why I don't give more? Well, I can give you, I can give you the justified reasons. I don't have to tell you the rest, right? I, I don't give as much because then I can pay off my other bills faster. Well, never mind that I'm still buying other things, right? Dave Ramsey would not approve. <laughs> I can give you all the justified reasons, but re- here's what the bottom line comes to. It doesn't matter your economic state. We can read Mark chapter 12, verse 42, and here's this woman who's very destitute. She has two mites to her name, and what does she do? Keep one so she can live and give half to the Lord. Wait, I got that wrong. Sorry. No, she gave it all, right? She only had two, and she gave both. She said she, Jesus said she gave more in what she did to all those who gave out of and from their riches. It's her heart. She gave herself to the Lord. And so we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read this passage. I know we've read it many times with regard to giving, but I want you to read this, brethren. I want you to challenge yourself to see where you stand. Compare yourselves with these Macedonian brethren who hardly have, or had, I should say, what we currently have. And I don't want you to shut down. I don't want any of you, brethren, to be hard and not listen to these words because it won't prick you then. I want it to prick your heart. I hope you want it to prick your heart. Moreover, brethren, he's saying this to the church at Corinth who has an issue with their giving. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep Poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. By the will of God. It was God's will for brethren to help other brethren that were in need. And these Macedonians urged the Apostle Paul. And these Corinthians previously had said, we are going to come bring forth a gift. So that when you come to us and make your way through Corinth and go on to Jerusalem, we'll have the gift ready. And Paul is ready to come, but he has heard that they're not yet ready for him to come. And that is why when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, here's what I want you to do like I told the churches in Macedonia. I want you to lay by in store every first day of the week. My words, not Paul's. On the first day of the week. Why? So that when I do come and I'm ready to take the gift to Jerusalem, that gift is ready. That's why I want you to do it when you come together as a church. That was a teaching. And so giving then is not a matter of law, but of grace. Brethren, that's what we're under. Look at the scriptures. It's explicit. We're not under law. The law has been done away with. We're under grace. If grace has been given to us and we're told that grace is 
not only greater than sin, but it's even greater than the law. Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. If the gift is greater that we have under the new covenant, how much should the generosity of our thanksgiving be to God? If we think that 10% is the waterline, then we've got this law mindset and almost feel like, okay, I've done well. And we've missed the point. I think it makes us feel good to have that watershed line. Because then if I just give that and I can feel good about myself, then it does not give me a reason to go beyond that. But knowing that we're not under law, but by grace. Yes, there are laws in the new covenant. But we're under grace. That's the covenant that we're under. What kind of givers should we be? Less than the law of Moses? Let me be very explicit. No. We should be so much more thankful. And that's why I think this lesson hits me right between my eyes. Right on my own toes. What does it do for you, brethren? For our visitors, I hope you take this home and take it to heart. But for our brethren here in this congregation, what does it do for you when all that has been given to you, the things that we prayed about this morning in the pulpit or here at the table, all the blessings that we have, how much more do we have now than when under the old law? Well, what does it mean for us today then? You see, I believe we need to apply our hearts to the needs that we have. You see, just as the brethren at Corinth were charged with applying their heart to the needs of their day, see, the need was, their saints in Jerusalem, they are in great poverty. Not poverty, they're in great poverty. So much so that even brethren in poverty in Macedonia, because of the thankfulness of the, the riches of God's grace, that through the Jews, salvation came to the Gentiles, that they could even then help their, their brethren through whom the Savior came. If there was a need for, for brethren in the first century, and brethren, there is a need today, then what are we doing? Why are we justifying or bringing reasons or excuses that say, here's the reason why I'm not going to give? Or here's the reason why I'm not going to give as much? Maybe I disagree with the leadership of our elders. I've actually heard those words used for not giving. Well, what are some things that we have today? Do we have saints in need today? Yeah, we do. This year, 2011, you talk about disasters across this country, natural disasters, let alone individual things that go on within each congregation. But because of our governmental system of welfare, because of our mindset today with insurance and what have you, we just don't have that sense of urgency among the needs, among stuff. But I've seen it here. Whenever there's been a need, we've been very generous to the need of brethren individually. But that need is, is not just here or there from time to time. There's a perpetual need too because look at what else we've got. We've got evangelism that goes on every single day. Whether it's here, whether it's Jerry and myself that you support, you allow me and Jerry the opportunity to spend our time teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know Jerry does as well. 
You have Don Bunting in New York City who is grateful for the support that we have. Scott Tope in South Africa. I hope that's who. (laughs) The teaching goes on. Not just the evangelism, but even the teaching within this building here. The women every week are coming together and putting resources together. Those resources cost money. We've got one of the best deals I've ever seen on a copy machine in color copies. It still costs money. To heat this building, to pad these pews, to repair the work, to have the building cut and nicely landscaped, all these things that may seem for some extreme, not necessary, for others that we get to rejoice in the beauty that we have and to do it before God, whatever extreme your mindset is, the bottom line is these are still needs that need to take place and need to be paid for. In the form of maintenance. Do you not know that David called for fundraising in the form of the temple? And in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, fundraising for the repairing of the temple? That's beside covenant. It's just common sense that these things have to take place. It takes money. And so we have evangelism and teaching. We also have all kinds of other things. That go on every single day. There's a leak right now back in this building that we just found out about. It's going to take money to have someone come repair it. But we don't think about all these daily things. We just think about our things. My pipe going out. And my this going out. And my that going out. Well, same thing with the building that we've chosen to be a part of here. And so for all these reasons you're talking about, we've got perpetual needs today. There's good reasons to be using God's word and God's money, if you will, because it all belongs to him to begin with. And the more that we have, the more generous we can be in doing the work of the Lord. I want you to stop and think about these things as we close. I want you to look at where your heart is. You see, I can tell you right now, That if God has blessed you financially, what is it to you to give back to Him financially? Or is your heart set on material things? See, I struggle with it myself. I want you to know. I struggle on behalf of my family with material things. I don't like like that about myself, but I do. And I want to be better at learning how to be a generous giver like my Savior was toward me, the grace given to Mitch Davis. And I'm asking you to do the same. Check your heart. Where's your treasure? Is it in heaven? Is it on stuff here? I want you to challenge yourself. Do you give sparingly? Make 100000 put a dollar in the plate? Make 50000 put a dollar in the plate. I know of people that make just a few hundred. They put a lot more in the plate. And when I say a few hundred, I'm talking about over the course of a month. <laughs> but they're giving. And giving generously. You see, we're told, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. What part do we not get of that? We're told that we're going to reap what we've sown. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Well, financially, we can read that here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. 
And so are you sowing sparingly? Are you sowing or giving generously? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful doesn't mean like, well, you know, if I give this, I'm not going to be happy about it, so I'm going to give less. I'm happy now. Was that the point that the apostle had? If I gave $100 today, uh, ah, that's no, I'm grudging. Okay, 50, still grudging. Five, almost there. Give a dollar. I am really happy I gave to the Lord today. That was not the point. In fact, the number isn't the point. Giving your life first and foremost to the Lord. That is the point. Giving your life first and foremost and finances are just part of the equation. Now, are you giving sparingly or generously? I'm going to say one more thing as we close. If you're someone who is here and you don't give. And week after week, people see because they're passing the plate out. You can't help it. I have never passed the plate out once that I can remember in 20 years. So I don't know. But those who do, see, change. Between you and God, because this is going to be between you and God, even though it affects the work here publicly, locally, change. Start giving. And those who give, challenge yourself. Give generously. And those who give generously, keep on. Keep giving generously. Don't stop. We can't take it with us. We all know that. So test yourselves. We're told in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 to close. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Every good deed includes the one that the Apostle Paul was talking about to the saints at Corinth. Includes giving financially. We're always going to have brethren in need. We're always going to have bills to pay. I don't care if the building ever gets paid off. There's always going to be... That's about the time when all the repairs start coming upon us. Whatever the situation is. There's always going to be evangelists who want to spread God's word. And we can be put in the position because of our generous giving to help even more. What do you say, brethren? Where's your heart? God is able to supply us everything that we need, even in the midst of a recession, even in the midst of the Great Depression. We can do it today. Let's put our trust in Him. Let's give Him first of our lives, and let's give Him our first fruits. You've heard all the other sermons about the mechanics about the giving and how you can lay aside first before you pay your bill, whatever. You've heard all those. You know what to do, brethren. Have the heart to go ahead and do it. That's what we're asking you. And by virtue of that fact, I want you to know that God gave us His Son. His only Son. He gave all of what He had as His Son to die for us. That you may have everlasting life. How do you respond? 